Welcome to the Strawberry Jam Sessions, brought to you by Victorian Strawberries. I'm your host, Simone Austin, accredited practicing dietitian and lover of all things strawberry. Each episode will bring you a punnet full of goodness to help you make the most of Victorian strawberries. So let's get to it. Today, I'm very pleased to have a fantastic and exciting guest with me, Annie Smithers. Welcome, Annie. Hi, how are you? I am so happy that you're here, and I'm going to first let our listeners know a little bit about you before we then deep dive into everything that you're going to share to them. So I'm going to start with a bit of bio about you, Annie. Annie Smithers is one of Australia's best regarded female chefs. She has built a distinguished career in the restaurant world since apprenticing with Stephanie Alexander back in 1984. In the past decade, she has worked in regional Victoria, first at Annie Smithers Bistro in Kyneton, and since 2013, a deux which means from the farmhouse, her charming, perfectly formed little restaurant in nearby Trentham, which is in central Victoria. Here she has garnered even more acclaim as a one-woman band, turning out rustic French provincial-style food as well. She has established a thriving vegetable garden on her home property in Lyonsville. You can share the love of food in Annie's books, Annie's Farmhouse Kitchen and Recipe for a Kinder Life. So... What would you share with your listeners as your first pearl of wisdom for us with your expertise as both a gardener and a chef? Oh, well, that's, that's, a, that's a very big question. But I think, that, I think one of the things that I love the most about what I do and how I um, construct my life these days is that I grow most of the fruit and vegetables that we use for the restaurant uh, and we... You know, my, my life revolves around that whole paddock to place, plate ethos. And it is, it, I've had a kitchen garden now for over 12 years. So the first one uh, I had was at my property in Malmesbury where I was there. I had that for eight years. And then five years ago, I moved to a property closer to the restaurant in a little township called Lionville. And started the garden all over again, which was, um, I did underestimate how much work that would be. I thought, sort of thought, oh yeah, I'll yes. just, I'll just start again. It'll be fine. So what, you know, over that period of time, it's meant that I cook almost exclusively from the garden. And obviously I buy carefully, carefully sourced uh, proteins and at times fish and things. But the seasonality of where I live and where I grow completely dictates what we eat, what we eat at home, and also what I cook in the restaurant. So I feel that the the whole process for translating it to a domestic environment is that it gives you an incredibly beautiful connection with what you're eating. And you you are much more you're much less wasteful because it's taken you so much time and love to grow all of these things. Yes, you don't want to throw any of it out. No, and there's also this beautiful sense of wonder of, oh, my God, this tastes so delicious or it's taken so long, I can't believe it's here, or gosh, that's been quick, and isn't aren't plants amazing or isn't nature wonderful? So there's a, 
there's a sense of joy in it. My advice would be give it a go. Grow anything. Grow a pot of herbs on your veranda. You know, just something, you know, fill a little trough of lettuces. If If you're nervous, just start small. And then if you really take to it, you can start carving up your backyard or put in a raised bed or something like that. But <laughs> it is a, it's a beautiful way to connect with the food sources and how, how much, and it also helps you understand that it, it takes a lot of love and care to nurture food. And so satisfying. So satisfying, isn't it? When you, see things sprout if you've grown them by seed or you see them grow. And I tend to, in my garden out the back, I'll, I'll um, watch them. But Annie, I do have to admit, I got a little disappointed the other day when I grew some spinach from seed and I was really happy. It was all in a pot growing up and I was getting ready to transplant it. But we had a few hot days and I didn't water them and they were like crisps. And I was so disappointed, Annie, because I had been nurturing these baby spinach from seed and it, they were just in a couple of days, a blink of an eyelid, just all gone. So it's, it, it gives you an enormous respect for the farming community because once you start to grow things, you are, people often ask me, do I feel like I'm tethered to the land? Yes. And I am tethered to it. It is, you know, it is a, whether it's the animals or the garden, or the production of food is that it is a tethering of the fact that you can't, you can never forget to water something because it might be that six weeks down the down the drain or whatever. But I would have to say that spinach can be a little bit tricky, <laughs> and because we had those hot days, you probably would have found that if you had watered it, it <laughs> might have bolted and gone to seed and you wouldn't have been able to use it anyway. So just oh, feel that, that, that feel that's, that's, nature, that's nature telling you that, you know, mate, the spinach wasn't for you this week. I like your point of when you first started talking about that you had, you know, a big garden, that can be quite overwhelming for people, but I like the fact you mentioned we could start small. And I think something that can be, as you said, on a patio or, and Victorian strawberries are a great one to grow like that because you can start with a couple of strawberry plants and I love the way they give off the little runner and then the next thing you know, you can grow another one and another one and you can sort of build your family from the one that you started with. And um, there's a few plants that can do that, but I do love the fact that strawberries, I can just put them in the ground and my next one comes. Strawberries are, I mean, we, we do grow quite a few strawberries and because I'm up in the, you know, in central Victoria, we, we're at an altitude of 770 above sea level. So we grow, we grow beautiful berries and our berry season always starts with the strawberries. So it's that, it's after a very long and cold winter here, we get, strawberries are that first shining, sense of spring and summer and you see that you watch them they're green and they're green and they're green and then all of a sudden they start to change and then you know you have a couple of warm days and you get these brilliant red jewels that are full of they're sweet and if you pick them in the late afternoon they're warm with the sunshine and delicious and I'm not as fond of strawberry runners as you are because I have to keep tri- – well, I have to keep trimming all of mine back so uh-huh. they produce as much fruit as possible. Fair but we, we do rotate our strawberries over a three-year cycle. 
So each year we take the runners from some and plant a new a new row, so another 20 metres from the runners. And then after three years, those plants are decommissioned and got rid of and we've got another two years. And so we have a perpetual cycle with oh. our strawberries where they, you know, so that the, the crowns don't get too big. Yeah, get ratty. We keep them nice and healthy. Yes. And don't produce as many nice strawberries. Should you feed? I've always thought that you should feed your strawberry plants quite a bit with um, either your compost or your fertiliser. Or is that true? Do they need a fair bit of food? Look, they're fairly. I find them to be fairly greedy plants. Uh, anything that's sort of anything that's in the ground for a, a few, you know, for years. So if you've got a plant that needs sustenance for three years, it's got a different feeding regime to something like a lettuce that you grow. It it grows in a sort of eight to twelve week period. You pull it out by the roots, and that's it. It's gone. So we do we do put natural fertilisers on ours. We top dress them with compost twice a year. They need a bit of love, but I always like the plants that need a bit of love because they they're very rewarding because they make you feel, you know, you're doing your job. So once you've grown them, you've picked them. What magical things as a chef do you do with them, and, and like how would you eat them at home versus maybe in the restaurant? Well, if I'm at home, I just eat them. Um, I have to be really careful at home because we have a Labrador and Labradors are renowned for eating strawberries. Really? Both, both, the, Labradors, both the Labradors I've ever owned love to get. They get their little snouts under the net because we, we net out and they go, she can sniff them. She, You know when the strawberries are ready because she goes running off to the patch. Oh. So if I'm at home, I will just eat strawberries. I know that uh, my partner tends to make smoothies and things out of them. Sometimes, you know, we, we spoke when we, we, we sort of spoke about doing this and you, one of the things that you mentioned was sort of gluck mm. and sort of, you know, the fact that when you do grow your own stuff, you, sometimes there's, there's times where you just have a little bit too much for it, of it. And, yes, strawberries, they do freeze very well. Well, they go watery and mushy, but you can use them for lots of things. But I do like to pair them with rhubarb for jam, so oh. and, uh, strawberry and rhubarb jam. Okay. My daughter made some strawberry jam the other day and I didn't think of putting some rhubarb with it. Okay. Rhubarb also helps it set a bit better because some of the mm-hmm. some of the strawberry varieties don't set as well as uh, you sort of like them to. I came out of last summer and I'm still in love with it as a concept is I make a beautiful, and this is when I have a lot of strawberries, so I think it's about 1.8 kilos of strawberries to two lemons, but I make a really beautiful strawberry sorbet. Mm. And it's a strawberry and lemon sorbet where you actually whiz up the the whole lemon in in the food processor and then you add the strawberries and the sugar. And there's some extra lemon juice to taste. But it's a it's a sorbet that stays, stays really beautiful and scoopable for quite a long time and holds its flavour. But the wonderful thing about a good strawberry sorbet is that even if it gets a bit hard, is you can melt it down and re-churn it. And it's a beautiful, lovely, refreshing thing to have on a hot summer's day. Because sometimes when you get, you know, the, the cycle of strawberries and things is that ours, ours are really good at the beginning, you know, the beginning of summer, so that November, December period. And then where we live, they're really good in autumn. 
So there's yes. sort of at the yes. beginning and the end, you know. So I like to put a lot of the strawberries away into a sorbet mix and put them in the freezer so that across those really hot months, like the end of January and February and things, is I've got this delicious, sharp, absolutely strawberry-flavoured sorbet that is cool and refreshing and delicious. That's fantastic. I like that um, because I made some strawberry sorbet the, the other day and um, it was a little bit too, uh, it was quite icy and I put lime juice, but um, you're talking about putting the whole lemon in yeah. the food processor and putting in this. So take the pips out, but use the peel and the whole. In- okay. Everything. Can we get, is that recipe in your book or anything? No, I can send you a copy of it so you can put it in your, in your show notes. Oh, yeah, and then I can maybe share it on my Instagram because I think everyone would definitely love that. Thinking about your maybe your journey as a chef, and you obviously have that interest in getting the food from the plate to the paddock, is that something you've always thought about or is that something that you've sort of um, developed over your time as a chef? Well, in the, in the very early days of my cooking career, I was, a, I was an apprentice at Stephanie's and it was at a, a stage, you know, 1984 was a very long time ago. And there was a lot of small farmers who were growing specialty items. And it was all very new in those days. Now, in my lifetime of cooking, which is nearly, you know, it's coming on 40 years now, is that whole landscape has changed. And the, the availability of specialist produce is now, you know, you know that you, know, you can get a lot of things at supermarkets, you've got farmers markets, you've got all sorts of avenues to buy beautiful produce. My you know, journey, so to speak, is sort of about leaving a you know, walking gently on the earth, living a you know, a life that's as sustainable as possible. And one of those things is that because I live in the country and I have access to land and water, we have a very small restaurant. We grow all the fruit and vegetables for us. We don't have any, we have a set menu, so there's no wastage. Um, I'm very lucky that it's always fully booked, so there's no wastage of man hours. And I realised I said uh, plate to paddock rather than paddock to plate, so it went round the right idea. Uh, it's, it's much the, <laughs> the same, way around. I can't, I can't tell what's the plate, what's the paddock some days. <laughs> and so if I'm coming to your restaurant, you're talking about it's smaller and it's got a set menu. What 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 am I going to experience when I when I book in and come? Well, it's uh what I refer to as French farmhouse food. So it is it does have a very strong uh French influence on it because it's a cuisine that I love and I think a lot of people, you know, find it, you know, very reassuring and there's a lot of there's a lot of breads in it for me with my skill base. So if you were coming into my restaurant if the weekend had just been, uh it was yep. quite warm and we had a lovely little kingfish tartare and a cuttlefish salad. And that was Yum. that was that was actually all about two different sorts of lettuces that I'd grown. One was a an heirloom French variety of an iceberg lettuce. And the other one is a new form of lettuce called Chalmers. So it was actually about the two lettuces and how they're different and, you know, the old and the new and where we're heading with, with sort of, you know, creating new breeds and why. 
then we had a little pasta dish because my ducks and my chickens are laying a lot of eggs at the moment. So oh. I made some angel hair pasta and that was with oh. peas, fresh peas, snow peas, snap peas, broad beans, basil from the garden. So all oh, of that came delicious. from the garden. Uh, then we had some beautiful uh, free-range duck from the lovely uh, Jody down at Great Ocean Road, or Great Ocean Ducks. So that was cooked two ways. So that was a seared breast and coffee leg meat with yeah. uh, potatoes fried in duck fat and the first of our beans and a lovely French sauce that's called a gastrique sauce. It's got a little bit of sugar and vinegar in it and black currants that we've just picked. That sounds absolutely sensational. And what I really love about that is when you talked about your your main meals, the vegetables were just as much a hero as the pasta, which we love, or the duck or whatever the protein is. And I think that's the trick to getting Australians to eat more vegetables is that they have to be cooked with just as much care and deliciousness as the rest of the meal rather than just that boiled thing slopped on the side. Yeah. And as you said, you can grow them at home. You know, snow peas are a great one to grow because you do, and kids love to grow them because you you can, or peas even to shell, you know, off the vine. You can eat them straight yeah. away. They grow reasonably quickly, get quite a lot of produce. So um, they're great fun to grow as well. And I think when you talk about kids, there are, you know, there are vegetables that really appeal to children. They love, you know, cucumbers growing on the vine. You can just pick them off and munch on them and they are really exactly. delicious. You know, pulling a little handful of carrots out of the ground and running them under the tap. I, you talk to kids about one of the things I love with, with particularly the root vegetables is asking kids to imagine what they look like under underground. What do you think all those carrots are talking about under there? Do you think that, <laughs> you think that playing footsies under the table? And sort of once kids get into that sort of, you know, looking at the plants and realising that there's carrots reaching down to, you know, digging to China and all of those stories things. And, yes, they, stories. Yes, stories to They go start with to engage with them and, and that's part of the joy of growing stuff is because they, they form a relationship with it and mm. it's not just, it's not just something that they pluck off, you know, that mum, you know, puts on a plate and says, eat this. Definitely. Annie, you've had such a, a great career, but it just the story of you growing and then that love that you do into cooking and then with a small amount of guests really in your uh, restaurant, you really get to see that whole experience through from exactly the paddock to the plate but also um, watching those people enjoy your food, which is the whole experience from start to finish, isn't it? Well, it is, and it's a, uh, it's, and even you know, I often say to people, you know, the the great thing is, is that we grow everything we possibly can from seeds. So all the seeds arrive in the mailbox at work, and I take them home, and then it might be six weeks, or it might be six months, or in some cases, like the purple sprouting broccoli, it might be eleven months. And I bring it back in and I cook it. And to me, that is, you know, my day will often start with going out and picking stuff and then loading it into the car and then heading to work, putting the bread on. And it's not the fussiest, you know, highbrow restaurant food, but it is that interpretation of, I suppose, one woman's passion for my, you know, my trade, but also, you know, that, 
that that path from the seed back to the produce onto your plate and it all being a sort of fairly you know personal personal relationship that I have with all of those things absolutely I'll be booking to come and enjoy my food and bringing the family up to um your restaurant for sure Annie it's you've Definitely got me inspired. Definitely, and I'm going to go and plant some more produce, uh, and 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 watch those three years for my strawberry plants. So I'm going to remember that as my get, letting my new ones come through. So my last question for you, Annie, is the one that I ask everyone, and I I um, want you to share with us what is your favourite way to eat Victorian strawberries. My favourite way to eat Victorian strawberries is to actually just sit in the paddock next to the strawberry row and shove them in my face. I think that they are, <laughs> to me, they are one of nature's true joys and they are, they are a product that needs no, nothing done to it to enjoy it to its fullest. So, enjoy you know, in the summer sun. Sitting there in the summer sun just snacking on strawberries. Beautiful. Sounds perfect to me. Thank you so much, Annie, for joining us today on the Victorian Strawberries podcast. It's been it's been a pleasure. So thank you. My delight to be here. So go and eat some more strawberries, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for joining us at the Strawberry Jam Sessions. If you've enjoyed this very delicious podcast, please let others know by rating us wherever you listen to podcasts. And there's plenty more strawberry goodness where that came from. Simply head to vicstrawberry.com.au. Until next time, I'm your host and strawberry lover, Simone Austin for Victorian Strawberries. <laughs>